Well, good morning, church. You know, I was afraid that my voice would start to crack. I'm going through my second puberty. And, uh, you know, that's one thing about uh, getting older is, uh, you know, you realize how much your your puberty years start to come back in a different way. And, uh, but anyway, this morning, my name is Randy Hunt, and yes, Leanne and I are blessed to have Tony as our son. And uh, it's funny, you get to see Tony as he is now as a, as a man and as a father, as a pastor, and we got to see him when he was born. We got to see him through the good and the, well, we won't go there, but uh, uh, we're just so blessed to be here. And I'm excited about being a part of this team to be able to bring a, into the speak into the series of blaze of when life and scripture meet. Because one thing that uh, has come to identify uh, our family's life is how important that uh, we just not know the word of God, but that we apply the word of God to our life. You see, each and every one of us in this room are building a story, a gospel story. When, when the gospel meets your life, and as you begin to live out the scripture, it changes, it transforms you. The message that you are writing and you're speaking to your children and to your neighbors and to your oikos is all coming from how you live out the word of God. That's why I like what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. He said, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, I never th- I, I've never believed, ever since I was a young believer, I never believed that, that God gave us the word of God just so that we could know him. I think what he wanted it was the word of God to transform us, to make us more like him. And he's given us instructions on how to live that way. And so this morning, what I want to share with you is something that happened way back in the 70s when I came to faith in Christ. And at the same evening, Leanne came to faith in Christ. That moment became very pivotal in our family. You see, that was in June of uh, 1970, and Tony would be born in October of that year. And what God began to do was he was showing us that the Word of God is so powerful and how it can guide us through these decisions. Because you see, I was just an 18, 19-year-old challenging everything, but yet one thing I could not challenge was what I was experiencing in a life transformational way, the Word of God. After I'd been led to Christ, I remember standing in a room. Over 500 high school students had their hands raised and they were in worship to God. As I walked into that room, I was impacted by the fact that I had heard Jesus' name mentioned many times in my school. But his name had never been worshiped like this. And I just felt like God was going to do something great in our lives. And he led us back to Phillipsburg, Kansas, where we spent several years there after we had come to faith. 
But my arrival into that town and to a new job, and it was during the height of the Vietnam War, and I was next in line to be drafted. A lot of things was going on, but one thing that was happening is I started this new job and then had to start a new family. We didn't have the income at the beginning. We didn't have insurance, and so we were really struggling to make ends meet. It was a Saturday morning, and I remembered as I was about ready to pray because we'd arrived at a point where the cupboard was bare. We didn't have anything to feed our son. So what are we going to do? And many days, you and I are left with decisions like this. What are we going to do when we reach a crisis situation? Are we going to try to work everything out on our own, or are we going to just trust that God will do something? Philippians 4.19 came to mind, and it said, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And I went to Leanne, I said, we're going to pray and ask God to do something. I know I could call my dad and just say, Dad, can you give me some bucks? You know, I mean, we do that, don't we? Mom and dad are supposed to give us the money when we ask for it. Yeah, right. But that's when we, we start figuring out a human plan to work out to our dilemma, whatever crisis we're in. And I just remembered Philippians 4.19 coming to me and saying, God will supply our needs. And so Leanne and I prayed and we said, God, you are the one who can provide. We don't have any food. Two hours later, there was a knock at the door and it was her grandmother. It still touches me now. Now you know where Tony gets his emotional. <laughs> and my grandmother, or Leanne's grandmother is there and saying, God spoke to me this morning and said I was to bring you this food. As I was on the way out to the car, I did a happy dance. You don't want to see it, trust me. <laughs> As I was just thanking God how he had provided we went inside, and I put the groceries on the table, and after her grandmother left, Leanne and I did a happy dance together. Now, that one you might want to see. But we were just thanking God for how he had provided, and about two to three hours later, there was another knock at the door, and this time it was her mother. And she said, this morning, God laid upon my heart that I was supposed to bring you some food. Now, I can get into this. Is this the way God works? I'd like to be able to say that every time we prayed that kind of prayer that we just saw, it happened. But it was the beginning stages of a young faith that was beginning to grow and, and learn and desire more and more to be like Jesus. And when I began to think about how I would get into Scripture, it was the book of Proverbs that uh, started drawing my, the most attention simply because I understood it to be some very compact uh, statements about uh, how to live wisely and how to live the kind of Christian life that I think God intends for each and every one of us. So there happened to be Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that became, be, became not only our life verses a couple in our marriage, but became the life verse for our family. 
If you have your Bibles, uh, if, if you were handed one this morning, uh, page 439 will direct you directly to this passage. And as you're turning there, let me pray. Father God, I must admit, all these years into living out this Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the many times I'm still left struggling to be dependent upon how I view things. And that's not what you intended. You asked me to be trusting you, to be, to be confident, to lean in on, and knowing that you will see us through regardless of whatever we face in life. And God, you know, individuals and families that are gathered here today the difficulties they may be facing right now. So I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak into their life this idea of trust. And we just commit that to you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I began to study the scripture and uh, got my concordances and stuff at that early stages of life, and it made, they made it easy for me to be able to understand what certain words meant and how sometimes I might hear a, a preacher speak on something and think, well, that, that's not quite what that scripture is saying. And, but I remember reading the word for trust and the, the Hebrew word is bitashon. And it means to lean on, to feel safe, to feel confident. And I must say this morning that that kind of description of faith probably doesn't resonate too well with us because we spend a lot of time trying to create our own secure environments and our own life flow so that, that we can somehow make sense of things because to enter into a life with Christ, to follow God, sometimes can be very unsafe in our minds. I always say, used to say when people would ask me, how are you able to do some of the things you do? And I said, God called me into the holy wild. Because there are just things that, that does not make sense other than put God's name on it. But when I looked at this verse, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. I used to memorize from the New American Standard, and so it's hard for me to switch from New American Standard to NIV when I quote. Because the New American Standard says, and lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. That verse, when I was asked, what would you be willing to, interested in speaking on? 
this verse come to mind because I believe within the text, within Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a pivotal part and role that all of the word of God flows from. And so when I started looking at this, this word trust, and I thought of a title, it is, I titled it Trust Equation. Well, we know that the word equation means two things are equal. But I did a play on words. Because trusting in God and leaning on your own understanding is not equal. They're two separate. They're two different sides of a coin. Because trusting in the Lord has a meaning to it that I am completely leaning, acknowledging, feeling safe, being confident that God always has my life in his mind and will guide me through. When I started to think about what word picture would describe how I can apply this, this verse of key, trusting God with and leaning not on my own understanding, I found this and I thought, this kind of nails it home to me. Hopefully it will for you. Each and every day, you are faced with a, with a choice. You're on the road. You are faced with a plan A or a plan B. Plan A is and will always be you go with God. Plan B is where you start leaning on your own understanding. It's that, it's that, that place where you start figuring out what's best for you. You start creating your own GPS voice, how you're going to get through it. I said in the first service, I said, you know, my wife is the only one that will argue with a GPS. And boy, did she let me know it that one day when she was right and the GPS was wrong. But you know, there's something about that that, that I guess the reason why I maybe have more trust in what is being said there is I figure they should know what's the best way to get there. But we all wrestle like that. Because you see, the first thing we come to, what makes sense to us? How do I look at this, whatever we're facing in life, and, and, and what would need to happen? What's my first step? What's my second? What's my third? Do I need to do in order to accomplish something in life rather than just to trust God? To be at rest that God has my best interest in mind. Here's a problem when I begin to lean on my own understanding. You see, I have a very limited understanding of all that's going on. I have just a little bit. But plan A is a commitment to a God who has limitless understanding and view of how to get us through. So why would I have the audacity to think I have a better idea? It's because our human mind tells us, when you think of that trust fall, 
As long as you can see it and it seems to make sense, then you know that's the right way to go. But as the woman who was to fall back, she looks over her shoulder. She doesn't see anyone there. There is no way on God's green earth am I going to fall back. Why? Why can't we do that? Because what we see with our eyes tells us a different story. And we just find it difficult to trust. So when I begin to spend time leaning on my own understanding, (laughs) you know what my life becomes marked with? Anxiety, fear, worry. None of us have that problem, do we? No, no, we don't worry. We don't have fear. We don't have anxiety. No, we're just at peace and we're at rest. Sometimes I watch people as they navigate through some very difficult times in their life. It just, you hear people when they walk away from and encountering this, a couple that has put their trust in God. I hear them saying, well, that's different. Because they see that they're so, they're so at peace. That even in spite of the wrestling that they may have, they always use this, but God is in control. I wonder what people say when they leave you, your presence, when things are falling apart in your life or you're navigating through some very difficult times in your life. What would people say about you? Because you see, as I said, you're writing a story every day. And people are really watching what you write. They're seeing if the word of God really is important to you or whether it's just another book that's Gives you some good stuff to read. So how do I put my trust in him in choosing plan A? And I believe that there's a secret that's lodged between this trust in the Lord and leaning on my own understanding. It's with all your heart. We kind of look over that, don't we? We don't want to look at that. It's, we mean with all your heart. Because I know as a young believer, I thought that, that's impossible. I can't love God with all my heart. I mean, what would that look like? And when I ask people that question, how can I love God with all my heart? You ought to heard some of the answers. None of them made sense. And then all of a sudden, I thought about the impact that Jesus gave to a a person who was an expert in the law in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 37. When the expert in the law asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and and with all your mind. So I looked at, that is the greatest commandment. But God, I can't do it. I don't know how I can. And all of a sudden, the Lord just kind of ministered to me and said, this is why you need a Savior. You're broken. 
and on your own, powerless to walk through this life. And I began to realize that the work of the Holy Spirit was to empower me and to help me, to equip me to be able to walk the walk, to live out the scriptures that he's teaching. And so as I started to think of loving God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, I remember reading something where an individual just commented that I, to love God with all your heart is to love him passionately. How passionately do you love God? <laughs> Passionate means you just can't get enough. So deeply in love. I mean, the things I used to do when Leanne and I were dating was embarrassing. Because guys had watched me drive south to take a delivery that was supposed to go north. <laughs> and I'd get back and they said, oh, you went, had to go by the flower shop to see if she was looking, huh? Why would I do something that stupid? It's because I passionately loved her. And I thought, okay, what does it look like then for me to passionately love God? It's to think about him. It's to feel it's, it's, an important, it's important that I take time to love him. It's, it takes time to get to know him. And so I don't do this every morning, but have you ever considered that maybe a good exercise for each and every one of us is every morning you get up and say, good morning, Lord. Help me today to love you a little more. Help me today to know you a little better. And that's an exercise that if I do that daily, by the time you get 40, 50 years down the road, you're finding that you're loving God more with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But if I'm to love him with all my soul, it's to love him willingly, that I'm willing to obey. Like the woman in the video, she said, no, I'm not going to. Someone who's learning to love God more with all of their heart, with all their soul, is to willingly begin to obey him. But you see what happens with plan B? If I choose that, I'm going against him. I'm choosing my own route. I'm not listening to him. Which to love him with all my mind would be to love him thoughtfully. It's to come to that point when you're beginning to acknowledge him in all your ways and I remember having a conversation with somebody recently and said, you know, it's one thing for you as pastors, you live within a ministry uh, dynamic. But what about our businessmen? How do they live this out? And I said, it's knowing that each and every day you start, you say, God, this is your business. And help me to run it the way you want me to run it. And to do what you want me to do. And so as I began to think through this, I thought, how can I somehow illustrate what it looks like when maybe I'm arriving more at a place where I'm loving God more with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, to be able to trust him with this all my heart so that I'm not leaning on my own understanding. And a wagon wheel came to mind. In a wagon wheel, there is a hub. 
That hub represents the core, all of the power that is taken out to the spokes, to the outer rim, comes from the center. And so the question I need to ask, and I need to ask myself each and every day, what is at the center of your life? Is it the center of your life yourself? If it is, then plan B is the way you're going to live life. But if plan A is where you want to go, you've got to keep daily asking yourself, am I still keeping Jesus at the center of my life? Because you see, what I put in the center is either going to weaken me or it'll strengthen me. It's either going to create stability or it's going to create instability. It will become your source of power. I tell you, there's nothing like going back into those 70s and seeing when the Jesus movement was at its highest and watching teenagers that were really focused on Jesus being at the center of their life and to seeing how kids were gathered in rooms and, uh, and praying for one another. And, and it wasn't uncommon to walk on a school campus and seeing kids uh, leading other kids to Christ. How does that happen? It's because they were wanting to make Jesus the center of their life and their power and their stability and strength was coming from that relationship that was dynamically being fed because of their time in the Word of God. One way I can, I can really know that I am not putting Jesus in the center is when worry fills my life. I can't tell you how many times in communication with people that I hear from believers a struggle with worry. I mean, worry, worry, worry. And all that says, here's someone that is not trusting in Jesus. They're trying to work everything out on their own. When I decide to trust God versus trying to work everything out, it does come down to, do I have complete confidence in God? Do I feel completely safe? What do I do when things around me seem chaotic and disastrous and life seems to be falling apart, our medical uh, report comes back and it's not good and, or, or we hear, we get a phone call, some things are not right in our family and we start hearing one thing after the next and all of a sudden our minds go to what do we need to do next to work all of this out? I like what Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk, when he, in chapter 3, verse 17 through 18, he closes, it's page 656 of you. We're given one of the Bibles this morning. Listen carefully to these words. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, and though the olive crop fails... And the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Look what he says. Yet, 
will I rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God my Savior. So picture this. We're in lovely Lancaster County. One of the things I love about coming into the church a couple of three days a week is going past farm fields and, and some of the gardens that are out there, plush, the produce that's coming because of the fertile soil. Imagine the next day you make that same trip, but instead of seeing fruit and fertile grounds that everything's barren, there's no cattle in the stalls. There's no milk cows in the milk barn. There's no sheep. There's no goats. No chickens. Everything is barren. What would be your attitude? What would you? Oh, my God. The world's coming to an end. And we'd panic, wouldn't we? But look what Habakkuk does. He said, yet, yet, yet am I going to rejoice in the Lord. You know why? Because he's learned to trust God in spite of what he sees in front of him, tells him. I'm going to trust him regardless. He sees the whole track. And speaking of a track... I remember going to, uh, this is about seven years ago, the church where I was the pastor of, because I was turning 60, wanted to give me a gift. And so they gave me a birthday gift of two eight-minute eight sessions on a racetrack driving a NASCAR of my choice. <laughs> that was so fun. So I chose, and I got a picture here of what that looked like. Leanne said I looked like a little boy there. <laughs> I felt like a little boy until I tried to crawl through the window. <laughs> and then my age started to catch up with me. But before I did all of that, I had to go to driver's school. And in driver's school, it was funny. He kept asking the question, how many of you have ever uh, have not driven a standard transmission? And nobody was raising their hand. Well, I knew in this day and age, there's just a lot of people that uh, have never driven a standard transmission. They only use automatic. But in NASCAR, you got a ship, baby. <laughs> and nobody raised their hand. He closed out the training session by saying, if you've not driven a standard transmission, you've got to come down and see me or you won't get out of the pit. About 15 guys went, and, and women went down there. I couldn't wait to get out. I crawled in that car. I sit down. I put my earbuds, and they told me that the earbuds were going to connect you with your spotter. The minute I got in the car, my spotter began to talk to me. How you doing, Randy? And I said, oh, great. I'm so excited. I didn't know how excited I was going to be until I pushed. He said, start your engine. <laughs> I pushed that, and the noise that came out of that horsepower, I would, I would give you an example of it, but I don't want to wake up the elderly. <laughs> and I, I just I was so excited about setting in this car, and and. He said, now, you're, you're going to come out onto the track. And now remember, it's important that you stay, keep between the two spots on the, on the track 
And when you get into the turn, don't put your foot on the brake. Last I checked, uh, whenever I drive around here, when I go into a sharp turn, I always brake. But he said, you keep your foot on the gas. I had a mental problem here. So what am I going to do? But the spotter kept saying, trust me, trust me, because the minute you go into that turn, you're going to feel something happen. And he was spot on. I went into that turn. That car hugged that turn. And I had a come to Jesus moment. <laughs> I felt that. That sliding in, it wasn't, I wasn't losing control and, and I was getting more speed up and the spotter was telling me, you're doing a great job. Remember, hit your spot, you're coming into your next turn. And, and there came this relationship between me and the spotter that really helped give me confidence that I could go faster, ending up averaging 153.3 miles per hour. The only thing that kept me from going higher was they had a stupid chip in the engine. And the spotter had control of it, and if he felt like I was losing control, he just bumped the chip. And I, the car would start to sputter. And I remember that's the only time I was frustrated with the spotter. Because <laughs> I want to go faster. But it's important you understand why I'm even sharing this with you, because there is a definite example of a spotter being God who sees everything around you on the track. And you just need to have confidence that he will guide you through what is happening on this track. He pumps you up when you need to be pumped up and he calms you down when you need to be calmed. That's our father. That's our father. That's our heavenly father. That's God. He's that spotter who can see everything on the track. And when things are starting to get messy, guess what? He's already seen it before you got there. And if you learn to trust him, he can guide you through that. Because when you're going over 200 miles an hour, things, you don't have a lot of time to, re, to react with a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom. Here's what it looks like inside a car. Over 200 miles an hour with less than a split second to make a decision, you've got to have a, a spotter you can trust in. You've got to know that he can see the track. He can guide you through. I've been amazed sometimes in watching a NASCAR race when I see a driver go through, splits wreckage on the road, and I'm thinking, how in the world did he see that coming? And then it dawns on me, duh, his spotter is guiding him down the track. And I would have the, if I'm going to choose plan B, guess what? I'm going to ignore what the spotter is telling me. And I'm going to, it's like when I, that chip kept reminding me I can't go any faster, that I had an argument in my mind because I wanted to go faster. But God's trying to keep me in control, to guide me through these things of life, to make sure that I get there safely. And God's going to drive us through, lead us right through the chaos. So why? Why do we struggle with trust? I'd sure like to be able to tell you, after being a Christian, 
48 years that I've arrived at a point when I really trust God every time I face a dilemma. But I am challenged as much as you're challenged. How do you know when your spotter's talking to you? There's sometimes when I hear within my spirit God saying, don't do this, do this, to guide me through. Other times, the word of God becomes so, so alive as it speaks to me, giving me direction on where to go. Sometimes it's a brother or sister in Christ who comes to me, who has listened like Leanne's grandmother and mother when we needed food. They listened to the Holy Spirit speak to them and to act upon the things that God was showing them. It's learning that voice of God. But let me tell you, when you're in that car and the noise level intensifies, it's hard sometimes to hear your spotter. That's why there are many times that you and I need to be still and know he's God. We need to get to a place where we are alone. When we're wrestling with with some decisions and to know that God sees everything and will direct me. That's why I love this closing verse in verse six. Calls me to submit to him in everything we do or to acknowledge him in all of our ways. But it says, and here it is, if you'll just acknowledge me, I'm going to direct you. I'll get you through this. But you've got to trust me. Even when you want to panic. So how do we apply this to our lives? What can I begin to do to daily grow in this truth? I think the first thing you and I need to do this morning is we need to ask God, what is the area of our life do we find the most difficult time of trusting God. What is it? Every one of us in this room have something that you find it extremely difficult to trust God. You need to identify what it is that you start to do the minute that you have a hard time of trusting. When plan B seems to come up in your face, uh, you, you know that uh, uh, you could choose all these different options So what is it that you do first? What's your self-talk? What does it say I should do? Because that's the very thing you've got to change. You've got to get to a place where you are saying, God, it does not make sense to me. I think this might be a better way, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to allow you to do what you want to do. Then I need to cry out to God and confess how much I failed. Don't we all need to do that? How many times have we failed to trust God? And then last, I need to begin to rest in God and to trust him. He's your spotter. He's going to guide you through. Regardless of what you face ahead, you can trust him.
Let's pray. With heads bowed, I just want to say that as we continue, as we start into this prayer, I'm going to be praying for you, but I want you just to take those four things and look at them yourself. And you have a come to Jesus moment where you talk with him and you admit your tendency to work on plan B more than you ever work on plan A. Father, You've spoken to us this morning. Many, 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 many times we have just chosen to function on our ways of looking at the way to handle life. Thinking we're going to get a, a better outcome. But Lord, today you've taught us that plan A is and will always be to trust you to lean on, to feel safe, to be confident in that you're going to get us through. So today, today, Lord, help us to be more than just a hear of the word, but to be a doer. So what you see before you could be bringing a lot of discouragement, frustration, or maybe you find yourself just always going to plan B because you think you're wise enough to be able to navigate your own life. And you don't need God. I want to say to us this morning, we can just walk out of here and just allow a message to be a message. Or we can walk out of here with willingness to say, you know what? Too many times I'm choosing plan B and I want to change. I want to, become, I want to make plan A my option. It takes action. This week, I hope that you find yourself choosing plan A more than plan B. Grace and peace to you. Go with God's blessing on your life this morning.